It's good to be here on this last Sunday in 2018 as we lead into 2019. And we're looking this evening at the Holy Spirit in our lives, the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we'll be looking at various texts. Thank you, by the way, to Andy and Roxana and the entire team for leading us in praise tonight. But the Holy Spirit in our lives, we find in our experience that wrong ideas about who people are, faulty assumptions about their identity, lead to our wrongly being related to them. Wrong ideas about people. Maybe you know somebody that thinks wrongly about you, or maybe you wrongly think about them, and so you're not rightly related to them. In the Christian life, one of the hindrances to a growing and a vital relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is that we have wrong beliefs about the Holy Spirit. We have many faulty assumptions about what his role in our lives is, about who he is, and consequently we have a weak relationship with the Holy Spirit. And as a result of this, we end up missing out on some of the great blessings and some of the great benefits that would otherwise come our way as believers if we were rightly related to the Holy Spirit. In the evangelical church today, among some people, not among all, but among some, I think damage has been done to our understanding of the Holy Spirit because of certain erroneous doctrines that have come from either charismatic or Pentecostal camps. And you know, one of Satan's tactics is that he gets us to shy away, gets people to shy away from practicing wholesome doctrine, believing and practicing wholesome doctrine, because it has been widely perverted and propagated by certain camps. That's what Satan does. So instead of focusing on the wholesome doctrine, we dismiss the entire doctrine altogether. And I think because of wrong doctrine about the Holy Spirit being propagated, some have shied away completely and have not given due diligence to understanding this doctrine of who the Holy Spirit is. That could be the case with you. Or it could be also the case that you are just plain ignorant about who the Holy Spirit is. And I don't mean to put anybody down, but do you know that it's actually possible to be a Christian and be ignorant about who the Holy Spirit is? The Bible says that in Acts chapter 19, there were certain Christians who were in the city of Ephesus. Paul encountered them in Acts 19, and they had never heard about the Holy Spirit. Christians they were for sure, but they had they were not living in a conscience, conscious relationship with the one who had caused them to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit himself. They didn't know who he was. And today, 2,000 years after the church has been birthed, with all of our learning and with all of the resources that we have at our disposal, the question is, are we intimately acquainted? Not just do we know about, but are we intimately acquainted with the Holy Spirit? My prayer tonight is that the Holy Spirit himself helps us through his word that we will know who he is and that we will leave here tonight with the resolve for the new year 
as 2019 is just upon us, with the resolve to be spirit-filled and spirit-led Christians who exalt Christ and who live for the glory of God. That is my prayer for myself. That is my prayer for you as you sit here tonight. We'll look at three aspects of understanding the Holy Spirit tonight. And as I said, we're not coming out of one particular text tonight. We'll, we'll be looking at various different texts. So keep your Bibles handy. I want you to turn to these various texts in your Bible when you can. Not all of them because we're going to be going rather quickly. And uh, three aspects in our understanding of the Holy Spirit. First of all, the person of the Holy Spirit. Then we'll look at the work of the Holy Spirit. And lastly, we'll look at the vessels of the Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, and then the vessels of the Holy Spirit. First of all, the person of the Holy Spirit. You may be seated here tonight, and you may be wondering, who is this Holy Spirit he's talking about? Who is the Holy Spirit? If you're not a Christian, you may have heard of the Holy Spirit, but maybe you don't believe in him. Well, if you're not a Christian, you certainly don't believe in him because you don't believe in God and you don't believe in Jesus or you don't believe in any spirit world whatsoever. It's not in your worldview. You say, what cannot be seen does not exist and so I don't believe in any spirits whatsoever. And the existence of the Holy Spirit cannot be proven scientifically, therefore I cannot and do not believe in him. Now, if you're here tonight and you don't believe in any spirit world whatsoever, then you, my friend, are living in a world of illusion with regard to the nature of the cosmos. Because the Bible teaches and we experience the reality of a spiritual world beyond what the human eye can see. And in this world of spirits, the Bible teaches that there are evil spirits or fallen angels, and there are also holy angels. And in this world, this unseen spiritual world, above all of these other spirits, there is the Holy Spirit. He's not just any spirit, but he is the very spirit of God. 460 times, more than 460 times actually, the Bible refers to the spirit of God. In Acts chapter 16, the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of Jesus. So he is both the Spirit of God and he is the Spirit of Jesus. That is to say, the Holy Spirit is co-equal and he is co-existent with God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ. Sometimes in theology, we refer to the Holy Spirit as the third person, the third person of the Trinity. Now, when we say that, we do not mean that he is less than the Father or less than the Son. He is not. In fact, he is co-equal and co-existent with the Father and with the Son. We worship the Holy Spirit just as we worship God the Father and God the Son. But that doesn't mean that we worship three different gods. It does not mean that. What it means is that we worship one God who is manifest in three distinct persons, yet perfectly one God. A better way of saying it would be to say we worship God who is three in one and one in three. God who is three in one and one in three. Three persons, three persons of one Godhead. You know, when we think of the Father, it's easy for us to think of him as a person. 
because of his fatherhood, and we can relate to him as a person. When we think of the Lord Jesus Christ, because he lived on the earth in a body and he was recorded in history, it's easy for us to think of him as a person. But it's a little bit more difficult for us, is it not, to think of the Holy Spirit as a person because he is spirit. And this is where some people will drift off into error, supposing that the Holy Spirit is not a person, but that he is a force, an impersonal force, or he is an influence. That's absolutely wrong. The Holy Spirit, the Bible teaches, is not a force or an influence, but he is a person. Does he have influence? Yes, absolutely. He has influence. As a person, he has great influence on the world and the lives of people. But he has the attributes of personhood. And there are a few texts of scripture that I could use to prove this point, that the Holy Spirit is indeed a person. But I'm just going to focus on one text of scripture, and that is Ephesians. So turn, please, to Ephesians chapter 4. And Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 30... The Bible says, and you've heard this before, Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Only a real person can feel grief. You need to be a real living person to feel grief. An object or a force or an influence cannot feel grief. You say, well, how do we grieve this person of the Holy Spirit? We grieve him when we sin and when we do that which is contrary to the holy nature of God. He is grieved. And it's important for us to understand that the Holy Spirit is a person. It's very important for you to understand that he's not just a force. He's not just an influence. He's not just somebody you can do without. It's important for us to understand his personhood because Otherwise, we will not think of being in a relationship with him. Whoever thinks of being in a relationship with a force? I don't know anybody who thinks of being in a relationship with a force. I'm not sure about you, but I don't have a personal relationship with the force of gravity. I don't. I don't know the force of gravity because he's not a person. And if he were a person, and if I knew him personally, I might ask him to suspend himself when certain people walk past me. But the force of gravity is a force, not a person. And not only are there traits of the Holy Spirit, such as his being grieved, which prove his personhood, but there are also certain actions recorded for us in Scripture which also prove his personhood to us. And I could go through many, but think, for example, of the Holy Spirit's act of creation. In the act of creation as co-creator of the worlds. In Genesis chapter 1, we read where the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, when the earth was formless and empty in its pre-creation state, the Bible says there in the second verse of Genesis chapter 1, that the Spirit of God was hovering or brooding over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, brooding or hovering over the face of the waters. He was the one who, working with the Father and the Son, brings cosmos out of chaos. The Holy Spirit. And then the Bible goes on to tell us in the New Testament, in the book of Luke, that the same Holy Spirit who was the co-creator of the worlds, 
the one who brought cosmos out of chaos, that he was the same one who brought the Christ child into the womb of the Virgin Mary. It was not man who conceived the Christ in the womb of Mary. It was the Holy Spirit. And about Christ's conception, the angel says to Mary in Luke chapter 1, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High shall overshadow you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. It takes a person to birth another person. So we're not saying that in the birth of Jesus that only one person was involved. No, there were two. One was Mary, the human, and then there was the Holy Spirit of God, the person of God. And since the Holy Spirit was, you know, involved in the creation of the worlds, why should we think it's strange that he who created the worlds is able to create the physical body of the Lord Jesus Christ in the womb of the Virgin Mary, unassisted by any male effort? Why should we think that that's strange if he can create the whole world? It isn't strange at all. He was just doing what he does as the one who is the creator, bringing the, the Son of God into physical flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary. So we have these attributes and we have these acts of the Holy Spirit, and there are many more that can be listed. Perhaps this will get you thinking about what other attributes and acts of the Holy Spirit prove his personhood. But these, for now, explain the personhood of the Holy Spirit to us. He is a person who is to be known. He has certain attributes and he has certain acts. A person who is to be known. How well do you, as a Christian, how well do you know the Holy Spirit of God. The more you know him, the more you will experience his power and you will experience his working in your life. The more you know him, the more you'll be sensitive to his working. And so we look secondly now at the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. Not only is the Holy Spirit a person, but you will be pleased to know that the Holy Spirit is a working person. He's a working person. And his work, as we saw, ranges from the creation of the worlds all the way to the recreation of the human heart. He recreates the human heart. That is to say that the Holy Spirit is the one who causes a person to be born again, as Jesus says to Nicodemus in John chapter 4. We are born by and through the agency, born again by and through the agency of the Holy Spirit. Anyone who believes on Jesus is because the Holy Spirit causes the person to believe on Jesus. And since that is the case, all of us here who have believed on Jesus, we have been born again by the Holy Spirit. Since that is the case, I want to focus on the work of the Holy Spirit tonight in the life of the believer. And the question to ask here is, why must we yield more of ourselves to the Holy Spirit? And why must we have more of him in our lives? That's the question. Why must we yield more of ourselves to the Holy Spirit? And why must we have more of him in our lives? I want to give you 10 reasons, okay? So I want you to keep your pen and your notes ready. And these 10 reasons, by the way, you can go home tonight and you can add 10 more to them because you're going to say, Kenny, you missed that or that and the other. Of course I missed because I don't have the time to give you 100, so I'm going to give you 10. 10 reasons 
among many, why we must yield to the Holy Spirit. First of all, to have assurance of salvation. To have assurance of salvation. Very often, a person who is saved, who is a believer, because of the circumstances in life or because of some past sin that we commit, we committed, we come under guilt and we doubt our salvation, we doubt our state in Christ. Have you ever had that happen to you? Have you ever been in a, a state where you know that you're a believer but you don't know? Because of some pressing life circumstance or because of a sin that you committed in the past. At times like this, it is the Holy Spirit who assures the Christian of their state in Christ, of their salvation. And so we look at Ephesians chapter 1, please. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 to 14, Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, the Bible says, In him also, meaning in Christ, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, meaning again in Christ, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Here is a promise of assurance, and it is a legal sort of assurance. A legal sort of assurance. We would have never believed on Christ without the Holy Spirit. But since we have believed on Christ, this text says that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. All who have Christ, who have believed on Christ, have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. So there's this assurance in a legal sense. That's what the word seal has to do with. It is a legal assurance. But not only is there legal assurance, there's also a relational assurance that is given to us in the Bible. The Bible says, and now I'm turning over to Romans chapter 8. In Romans 8, verses 14 to 15, the Bible says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifying with our spirit that we are the children of God. So there we have a relational assurance. And it is the Holy Spirit who gives us the assurance of our salvation and the assurance of our sonship, that we are indeed sons and daughters of God. I wonder if you are struggling with either of those tonight. Are you struggling with the assurance of your salvation? Are you struggling with your sonship, whether you are a son or daughter of the living God? If you are struggling with either of those tonight, ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Ask him to assure you, and he will. In Jesus' name, he will. Secondly, why we must yield to the Holy Spirit is to battle sin and live a holy life. To battle sin and live a holy life. Again, I'm in Romans chapter 8 and verses 8 to 9. There the Bible says in Romans 8, 8 to 9, And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Then I drop down to verse 12, where Paul continues, and he says, So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you will die. 
And by the way, when he says this, you will die, he is talking about believers. And the way I interpret this text is that he is talking about physical death, that believers who are living in sin continually without repenting, that God calls them home in his mercy. If you continually live according to the flesh, you will die. He's speaking to believers. He's not talking to the unbeliever. The unbeliever is going to live in the flesh anyway. If you live in the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, the Bible says you will live. You will live. In a world in which sin and temptation are ubiquitous all around us, everywhere we look, sin and temptation, how do you battle sin? How do I battle sin? Yes, it's good for us to have strategies. It's wise for us to have strategies. Absolutely necessary. It would be foolish not to have boundaries in place. But the truth is that without the power of the Holy Spirit, you cannot live a holy life. He's the Holy Spirit, and he is the one who causes us to live a holy life. And so if we allow the Holy Spirit to reign in our bodies, we are able then to put to death the deeds of the flesh, the sins of the flesh. Otherwise, we struggle. What are you struggling with tonight? What sin are you battling as a Christian? Don't be hopeless, but be hopeful and ask tonight for the power of the Holy Spirit. Ask for his intervention and he will give it to you because you are one of Christ's own. The third reason we must yield to the Holy Spirit and have more of him is to love rightly and to love well to love rightly and to love well. How is it that you and I, as Christians, are able to experience the love of God for ourselves? How? Well, we're told in Romans chapter 5 how we know that God truly loves us. He says in Romans 5, 5, Romans 5, 5, the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In a world in which it is difficult to conceptualize what true love is because, say, of an unloving parent or an unloving spouse, it is the Holy Spirit who causes us to experience the love of God, truly experience the love of God in spite of these circumstances. He is the spirit of love, and we need him to know the love of God. We need him to know the love of God, but we also need the Holy Spirit to show the love of God to other people. We absolutely do. That's why Paul says in Galatians, Galatians 5.22, that the first fruit of the Spirit, you remember what it is? Love. The first fruit of the Spirit is love, meaning love for other people, showing love to other people. Very easy for me, it's very easy for you to love people who are lovable, people who... Uh, love us and who get along with us, that's easy. But to love people who are unlovable, people who annoy us, people who we get angry with, or people who absolutely hate your guts, how do you love them? It requires the power of the Holy Spirit to love people who are unlovable. And he gives us that ability. Fourthly, to know how and when to pray. To know how and when to pray. Again, I'm back in Romans 8, where in verse 26, there the Bible says in Romans 8, 26, in the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, 
but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. When life seems hopeless, when we are weak and we don't feel like praying at all, did you know that the Holy Spirit does not stop praying? He is praying for us. He is interceding for us. And then what he does is he empowers us in our weakness to return and join him in praying. Isn't that marvelous? That's why Jesus, when his disciples asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray in Luke chapter 11, at the end of that instruction on teaching them how to pray, Jesus ends by saying to his disciples, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In other words, you want to learn how to pray once I'm gone? Ask the Holy Spirit to teach you. And you and I can ask every day, we can ask the Holy Spirit to teach us and lead us and empower us in praying. And without his power, you and I would never pray. But fifthly, the reason why we need to yield to the Holy Spirit is to have a growing faith in God. A growing faith, not just faith, but a growing faith in God. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, without faith, it is what? It is impossible to please God. Earlier from Romans 8, we just read, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God, implying that only those who are led by the Holy Spirit can please God. Now, follow me carefully, please. If it takes faith to please God, and if only by walking in the Holy Spirit we can please God, it means that the faith to please God, pleasing God being the common denominator, the faith to please God comes through dependence on the Holy Spirit. If it takes faith to please God, and if only by walking in the Holy Spirit we can please God, it means that the faith to please God comes through dependence on the Holy Spirit. And then there's a sixth reason why we must yield to him. And this is a very important one, to rightly understand, remember, and preach the word of God. To rightly understand, remember, and preach the word of God. In John chapter 14 and verse 26, Jesus said to his disciples, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. We need the Holy Spirit to understand what the Bible is saying to us. We need the Holy Spirit to teach us and to help us also to remember what we have read. Without him, we cannot remember what we have read. Now, what do I mean by that? Not just in the sense of memorizing scripture. Of course, that's good. And of course, we need his help in memorizing the scripture as well. But did you know that e even if you're not, you're not a Christian, you can still memorize the whole Bible and it ha makes no lick of a difference in your life. What I really mean by remembering scripture is that, that it comes to our minds when we are faced with particular life situations. The Holy Spirit helps us in those situations. When we need particular texts for particular moments, the Holy Spirit does that for us. And then, very importantly, for preachers and teachers of the Word of God, we need the aid of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 2.4, 1 Corinthians 2.4, 
Paul said, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. This comes from a man with a colossal intellect. He says it was not in demonstration of persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. And you know, the problem that I think we face in the church today when it comes to preaching in the evangelical church is not an inability to do exegesis or explanation, not an inability in delivery style or in application or illustration. We have all of that down to a science in the evangelical church today. That's not the problem. The problem is that most preachers and teachers of the word are not taught to seek the anointing or the unction of the Holy Spirit in their studies. Not taught that at all. Paying for a seminary or a Bible college education, as needed as that is, as necessary as that is, cannot buy anointing. It just can't. You can't pay for anointing. The cost of anointing involves sacrifice. Giving ourselves over to God in prayer and in the word, as Acts chapter 6 tells us that the early apostles did. Or the Puritans would use the word sequestering ourselves, separating ourselves over and giving ourselves over to God. That's the way it has to be done. You can't get an anointing just by having a seminary or a Bible college degree. Not possible. That's why the hymn writer rightly said, Brethren, we have met to worship and adore the Lord our God. Will you pray with all your power while we try to preach the word? All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One come down. Brethren, pray, and holy manna will be showered all around. When it comes to understanding the word of God, I wonder if you are self-taught or you are merely human-taught. Which one? Seek instead to be Holy Spirit-taught. And that'll make all the difference in the world in your life. All is vain, vain, empty, useless unless the spirit of the Holy One come down. And then there are more reasons. And in giving you these other reasons, I'm just going to hurry through them. The seventh reason why we must yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit and have more of him in our lives is to discern things spiritually according to the mind of Christ. To discern things spiritually according to the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2 and verses 12 to 16 are the verses. I'm not going to read them, but you can note that. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 to 16. And Paul explains in these verses that it is through the Holy Spirit that we have the mind of Christ. And in this day and age when the world constantly tries to bombard the church with its ways and its methods, we need the mind of Christ. And it comes to us through the Holy Spirit. Eighthly, I'm getting through this list of ten. I'm on number eight right now. To successfully wage spiritual warfare. <clears throat> to successfully wage spiritual warfare. You'll notice as I'm going through this list that many other reasons are coming to your mind. And you're wondering if I'm going to mention them tonight. Perhaps not. But you write them down when they come to your mind. The eighth reason we need the Holy Spirit is to successfully wage spiritual warfare. In Ephesians 6 and verse 10 onwards, Paul instructs us about spiritual warfare. He starts by saying that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual darkness, etc., etc. And he ends that section by saying, praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Spirit. 
In other words, without the power of the Holy Spirit, there is no waging successful spiritual warfare without the power of the Holy Spirit. Ninthly, why we need the Holy Spirit and why we must yield to him. To know Jesus more and better for ourselves. To know Jesus more and better for ourselves. In John chapter 15 and verse 26, Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, when the helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. The Holy Spirit always witnesses to the person and work of Jesus Christ, always giving us more knowledge about Jesus. But why is it so important for us to know Jesus more through the Holy Spirit? Well, this is what it is. Again in John chapter 16, verses 13 to 14, Jesus said this of the Holy Spirit, He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and he will disclose it to you. He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus. If our lives are to bring glory to Jesus, we must depend upon the Holy Spirit of God. Otherwise, listen carefully to me. If we don't depend upon the Spirit of God to bring glory to Jesus, we are going to be living for our own glory. We need the Holy Spirit to bring glory to Jesus because he has come to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And lastly, why we need to yield to him, to share Christ more frequently and more courageously. I'll give you some verses and uh, I'll leave it there. John 16, 7 and 8, Acts 4, 8, 7 and 55, and Acts 13, 9. It is only as we live Holy Spirit lives that we can boldly, courageously, and frequently share Christ with the world. For these reasons and more, we need to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit and we need more of him in our lives. We've looked at who the Holy Spirit is and why we must allow him to work in our lives. Now I want to, in closing, in applying this even more practically, I want to look at one last thing, the vessels of the Holy Spirit. The vessels of the Holy Spirit. Since we know who the Holy Spirit is and how he works in our lives, now the question is, how can we be spirit-filled Christians? How can we be spirit-filled Christians? Vessels of the Holy Spirit. How? Three instructions, very practical for you, to be spirit-filled Christians. First of all, prepare by removing blockages. Prepare by removing blockages. I'm back in the book of Romans. Prepare by removing blockages. And in Romans chapter 6 and verse 13, in Romans 6.13, the Bible says, And do not go on yielding the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but yield yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Yield or present. Sin in our life is like a blockage of trash in a water pipe. Have you ever had a blockage in your kitchen? Blockage in a water pipe. It's not a good thing. Sin blocks the flow of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
and we need to get rid of whatever that blockage is. The Holy Spirit will not operate in the life of a believer who is constantly giving himself or herself over to sin. He won't operate. We grieve him and we quench him when we do. That's why the Bible says don't grieve and don't quench the Holy Spirit of God. I wonder what sin is blocking the flow of the Holy Spirit in your life. What, I don't want to mention any sin because you know what that is. It's between God and you. Would you ask God to show you? Maybe you don't know what it is. Ask him to show you and then ask the Holy Spirit for power to remove that blockage so that he has free flow in your life. Prepare by removing blockages. Second instruction is place ourselves under the spout where the water comes out. Place ourselves under the spout where the water comes out. You say, oh, that instruction rhymes really good, but doesn't make any sense at all. Well, I want you to remember it. That's why it rhymes. But let me explain what I mean by that. All of us have filled water in a glass from under a water spout of some sort or the other, haven't we? We've all done that. If you place the glass under the spout, the glass can catch the water and be filled. But suppose you let the water from the spout run and you hold the glass over off to the side, the water will flow, it won't stop flowing, but it's not going to flow into the glass, is it? How do we place ourselves under the spout and what is the spout that I'm talking about? In Ephesians chapter five now, please, in this very important text of, text of scripture, Ephesians five verses 18 to 20, Ephesians 5, 18 to 20, Paul says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Literally, it is be being filled with the Spirit. Be being filled continuously. There's the command to be under the spout. But you say, what is the spout? Well, Paul continues, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Ephesians 5, 18 to 20. There are three practices here which are worthy of you taking note that cause us to be filled with the Spirit. Reading the Bible... And talking about it with one another is what he says here. That's the first practice. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This assumes that we are reading the word of God because how else can we speak to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs unless we read the book that contains them? The second practice is praise, which we have been doing here tonight and hopefully privately as well. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Now, you may not have the greatest voice, but do you have a heart that can genuinely praise God? Praise. The third practice is prayer. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. To give thanks for all things is prayer. It assumes that we have been praying about the all things that we are thanking God for. And so when we are reading the word of God, praising God and praying to God in Jesus' name, the Holy Spirit will attend and he will fill us. Last instruction, thirdly, pour out what has been poured into us. Prepare by removing blockages, place ourselves under the spout where the water comes out, and thirdly, pour out what has been poured into us. 
In Acts chapter 2, Paul, Peter, excuse me, says uh, something very interesting. He uses in Acts chapter 2 the word poor three times to describe the giving of the Holy Spirit. Three times in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost in fulfillment of the prophecy from the prophet Joel. The Holy Spirit has been poured out onto the whole church and he has been poured into every believer. But he is not poured into us so that we stagnate. It's not the point. What then? You say. Paul tells us. Paul goes on and tells us in Philippians chapter 2 verse 17. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. I rejoice and share my joy with you all. In 2 Timothy he says. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. What was Paul pouring out? Not merely himself. But. He, has, he was pouring out of the Holy Spirit who was in him. How was Paul pouring out what was being poured into him? By making Christ known, by caring for believers, even to the point of being willing to die for the sake of the gospel and of Christ. Are we being filled by the Spirit and are we pouring out to the Lord in service? To be vessels of the Holy Spirit, fit for the master's use, we depart from sin, we come under the spout, and we pour out what has been poured into us. I want to close with an illustration from the life of D.L. Moody. Soon after he was converted, we all know that D.L. Moody, in the years following, became uh, an itinerant evangelist and a well-known one. And he was a good one. Now, I say good because I'm about to make a point here. He was a good evangelist, itinerant evangelist, because he was a great organizer. And D.L. Moody was always busy doing something or the other, feverish with activity, but he lacked depth. He lacked power. And one day as he was going about his busy itinerant schedule in the city of New York, D.L. Moody had finished preaching in one location and was embarking uh, the carriage to go to his next location. And as he was getting into the carriage, an old white-haired man, we don't know, history doesn't record for us who he is, but he taps D.L. Moody on the shoulder, gets his attention, and he says, Young man, next time when you speak, honor the Holy Spirit. Young man, next time when you preach, honor the Holy Spirit. I got into the carriage, said Moody, and drove away, but the voice was continually ringing in my ears, yet I did not understand it. It was six months afterwards before God revealed to me the meaning of that message, that I was continually dependent upon the Holy Spirit. From that day to this, I seldom stand before a great audience where I don't see that old man with his outstretched finger and hear his voice, honor the Holy Spirit, honor the Holy Spirit. In the year to come, in 2019, may it be our desire to honor the Holy Spirit. As individuals, as families, as a church, may we honor the Holy Spirit in our dependence on him for life and godliness, in our love for him, and in our sensitivity to him and our obedience to him, may we honor the Holy Spirit. And if you... And if you have not believed on Jesus, you may have been feeling a tug in your heart, as I 
have been preaching, a tug on your conscience, that is the Holy Spirit. You say, how can I experience all that you have described here about the Holy Spirit? Well, if you are not a Christian, you cannot experience any of this. The Bible says, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That tug you are feeling at your heart is the Holy Spirit inviting you to believe on Jesus, to be your savior from sin, and to be the Lord of your life. Tonight, you can start by honoring the Holy Spirit, by giving your life to Jesus Christ. Heed his call tonight. Give your life to the one who died on the cross and rose again, so that you may have eternal life. Let's pray. And our Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and through the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit of God. We ask that what has been preached about him may result in your church being built up and edified. That it may result in more holiness and power and love in our lives as Christians. And that it may result, I pray, for the glory of Jesus in people being saved. Whether they have been in this room tonight or whether they hear this sermon through a video in the future. I pray that you would get the glory and that you would do your work as only you can. We give ourselves to you in Jesus' name.